The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. All right, so go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. And we'll start with verse 3 and, uh, and look at verses 3 through 8 this evening. So they told me that I need to speak fast tonight, so, uh, which I usually do, so we'll see. Maybe I'll actually speak faster if that's possible, but we'll see. So Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. And uh, I titled the message, Giving Thanks for the Gospel Truth. And it's a common approach for Paul to begin his letters by first introducing himself and then following that up with the giving of thanks for the recipient to uh, whom he is writing, and in this case, the Colossian church. And we remember that Paul was writing this letter while in prison there at Rome to the church there at Colossae because his dear friend and, 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 and fellow laborer Epaphras come, uh, came to visit him while he was there in prison and he had great concern about some potential issues arising at the church there. And we're tipped off about uh, just what these issues might be by reading what Paul says to the church in chapter 2, verse 8. And he says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. And Paul spends the majority of that second chapter proclaiming Christ and Christ alone over any of man's philosophies, all of man's legalism, and any type of false doctrine that may exist. And this was an urgent issue, and it is today as well. You know, so many years have, have gone past since when this letter was written and until now, uh, and we see the same type of attacks threatening the church. The devil, uh, he had been using men to infect the New Testament churches during this time with uh, all so sorts of false teachings and ideas that perverted the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And we know that the devil does the same thing even today. And so often we can look around at churches today, and many churches that may have even uh, started out well and in the will of God that have been totally overtaken by false teaching and false practices. And although many may claim to be Christian, their doctrines that they've incorporated throughout the uh, course of the years have come from none other than Satan himself. So many of our modern churches have been corrupted and deceived by some of these these same types of false teachings that Paul is addressing here in this letter. And unfortunately, we know that churches are made of people. And there's people uh, that have no doubt that they're doing and believing all the right things, so to speak. And they won't realize until the day of judgment that they have been deceived. So this is why the truth is so important for us, and this is why Satan attacks it so persistently. The gospel truth is the most important truth that you can ever know. Uh, there was this, when I was younger, there was this guy that I used to play basketball with all the time, and <laughs> he would constantly lie about all of his past sports accomplishments. And every time that he would make a statement and, and tell a lie about one of his accomplishments, he'd always tag on the end of it that that was the gospel truth. And, and I don't know if you've ever heard anybody say that. Maybe that's just a Kentucky thing. I don't know. But 
Many times if someone is trying to get you to believe something, they'll often say that it's the gospel truth. Well, why do people say that? Well, they do it because the gospel is known as truth. There's nothing truer in this universe than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the reputation of the gospel should never be associated with anything but truth. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, uh, really kind of uh, uh, tells us what the gospel is. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And for the sinner, which is all of us, this is good news, right? Matter of fact, it's great news. The word gospel means good news. And it originally came from the armies and the battles of old when someone would return from the battlefield and declare the good news of victory. And that's exactly what the gospel is to us. It's the good news of victory. And as Christians, we have that good news because of Christ and his victory over sin and over death. And I'm reminded of that hymn. I'm not going to sing it, but I'm reminded of that hymn, Victory in Jesus. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. The gospel is the good news that we have because of Christ's triumphant victory over sin. He lived a perfect life of obedience. He died on a cross as a perfect and holy sacrifice for our sins and was raised to life on the third day. And as far as we're concerned, our part in this, we didn't lift a sword or throw a rock or a stick or anything when it comes to this victory. The battle is won by Christ and him alone. But it's because of this victory that we as Christians who have trusted him can be victorious as well. And that's good news. But what else do we know about the gospel? And if you have your outline, I put a couple, couple blanks there for you. What else do we know about the gospel? Well, we know that it must be preached. Matthew chapter 24, verse 14 says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. So the gospel can only be good news when it's proclaimed, when it's spread, when others are told about it. If the gospel is not preached, then how will anyone ever know about this good news? How will anyone ever know that they can be victorious? How will anyone ever know that they can be righteous, that they can be saved from hell and enjoy an eternity in heaven with Christ? Well, the short answer is, they won't. Romans chapter 10 verse 14 says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? So it's our duty to preach the gospel. Jesus said in Mark chapter 16 verse 15, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So the gospel must be preached. What else do we know? Well, next we know that the gospel must be believed, and it must cause the sinner to repent. So the gospel must be believed and cause repentance. Mark chapter 1, verse 15, And saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye, and believe the gospel. Not only must the gospel be preached, but it must be believed when it's heard, and it must cause a sinner to repent. Well, you know as I do that today repentance has become unfashionable for so many churches that still dare to bear the name of Christ on the signs in front of their buildings. If true repentance is to occur, then people must be made aware of their sin. 
they need to know what they need to repent of. And most churches and, you know, a lot of youth programs, they don't want to do that because they're afraid that it might offend someone. It might make somebody not feel so good about themselves. It might make them not want to come back to that church anymore. Which means what? Well, maybe a loss in enrollment or, or membership, which would ultimately, ultimately mean a loss in what? Revenue. Am I being too hard? <laughs> but repentance is always an authentic reception of the gospel. It's always part of that. One cannot truly believe unless he repents, and one cannot truly repent unless he believes. Luke chapter 13 Verses 3 and verse 5, Jesus says, I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. And Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is longsuffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So not only must the gospel be believed, but it must cause the sinner to repent as well. Well, what else do we know about it? We know that there must be sacrifice for the gospel. There must be sacrifice. Mark chapter 8, verse 35, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. The cause of the gospel in our lives should never be a cause that we take up when it suits us and then put it back down when it doesn't. Uh, there in Mark chapter 8, what we just read, we're told that whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. So in your own lives tonight, what are you willing to give up for the gospel? Have you ever thought about that? What do you sacrifice for the gospel? Do you sacrifice your time for it? Do you sacrifice your standing with your friends and your family for it? Do you sacrifice your security at your job or your work for it? And you say, oh, wait a second, Jared. <laughs> You know, we're not allowed to talk about religious stuff at my work, right? I know that's what they tell us. That's off limits. Well, why? Well, because we might lose our jobs. We'll look back at that verse again. Whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels. Now, I'm not telling you to go out and try to lose your job. But your job is included under that umbrella of our life, right? So we must be willing to sacrifice and even sacrifice greatly for the cause of the gospel truth. And tonight, if you're a Christian who maybe finds yourself too busy to take on or, or do certain things that, that might be needs here at the church, or, or maybe you're too busy to teach or to help with a class here at Berean, uh, maybe you find yourself having no problem uh, dropping 50 bucks for uh, a couple of pizzas for dinner, but $25 for one of our missionaries is just out of the question. If you can relate to some of this, then you might be somebody who isn't sacrificing very much at all for the gospel. Well, what about at home? If you find yourself too preoccupied with Monday night football, when your child is coming up to you asking you to read that children's book about Jesus to them, or if it's not worth the hassle of making sure that uh, your young person is getting up and getting out of bed here to church so they have the opportunity to hear about Jesus, then you may be someone who isn't sacrificing very much for the gospel. And I'll be honest, those are directed toward me, just as they are uh, to any of anyone listening tonight. But I think we can all agree that uh, we can and we need to be sacrificing much more for the cause of the gospel than probably most of us are. And as children of God, if we won't, then who will? Well, no one will. So there must be sacrifice. We must sacrifice for the gospel. Well, what else do we know about the gospel? Well, we know that we must not be ashamed of it. 
Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We cannot be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Mark chapter 8, verse 38 says, Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in glory of his Father with the holy angels. You know, it's easy to be tempted to look down on on some of the young people uh, for the things that they don't do right. And, and trust me, they often have uh, many head-scratching moments for their youth minister, to say the least. Uh, moments where you just think, how in the world could you do that? Or, or why in the world would you say that? Or I can't believe you would post that on the internet. Um, but other times, you see demonstrations of faith in their lives that make you step back and, and, and just say, wow. Um, and when it comes to not being ashamed of the gospel, uh, I'm going to brag on somebody, and she's not here so I won't embarrass her. But a uh, few that I have seen over the years do it unapologetically uh, as Angela Zaniga. Uh, not a week seems to go by that she doesn't come to me and talk to me about somebody that she wants me to pray for. And how she shared with this kid at her school. Or how she's invited this classmate to church. Or how she's discussed her faith with, with some of the groups of the people that she goes to school with. And, and also how she stood up for what she believes in front of her entire class. And she goes to a public school where uh, I would dare to say that it probably wasn't welcomed. And she even told me just recently how she stood up in front of her whole class and corrected her teacher about something the teacher said that wasn't right about what we believe. And the teacher and pretty much the whole class took an opposing side to her on that. And she stood alone, and she never compromised what she believed. And she doesn't tell me any of this stuff to to brag or to boast. She just truly believes the gospel, and she's not ashamed of it, and she loves her friends and her schoolmates so much that she doesn't want to see any of them go to hell. And you know, we older and much wiser Christians could really learn a lot from an example like that. So we can't be ashamed of the gospel. Well, what else do we know? Next, we know that there's danger in believing a false one. There's danger in believing a false gospel. It must not be a false one. Galatians chapter 1, verse 8, But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you, that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. There's great danger in believing the wrong thing, isn't there? That's why Paul's writing this letter. He wants the Colossians to know the truth and to believe the gospel truth and that alone. And the reason is because he knows, just as we know, that eternal life with Christ relies on the truth of the gospel. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 says, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And for time purposes tonight... You'll also find in the Bible that when it comes to the gospel, that it must be labored for, uh, that it must be defended, that as believers we must fellowship in it, and that we must suffer for it as well. And we also must be thankful for it, just as Paul is here in our text, thankful for the amazing work that Christ has done for us that we call the gospel. Well, let's get into our text, starting there at verse 3, and let's read down to verse 8. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, 
Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day ye heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth, as ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask you that you would open up our hearts to, to this message tonight. We pray that your name uh, would be glorified in all that we do. We ask this in his name. Amen. So tonight, uh, here in the text, like we stated earlier, Paul, he's following his first uh, two verses, his introductory verses with verses of thanksgiving that we see here in verses 3 through 8. So much for what the Colossians have, not so much for what the Colossians have done uh, themselves, but what the gospel is done and is doing through the Colossians. And it's the same for us. We can't take credit for the good things that happen here at Berean. Everything that glorifies Christ that happens here happens because we have received the gospel, the true gospel. The same way that these Colossians did. And Paul is praising God and giving thanks that they have no doubt received it. Verse 3, we give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ. So tonight, I've just got a couple, of, a couple more quick points that, uh, that I want to make about how the gospel was working in the lives of the Colossians and how it should be working in our lives as Bereans as well. So number one is the gospel brings forth faith. Verse 4, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Faith in Jesus Christ, a truth faith. That's what it's all about. We spoke earlier of the victory. This is a battle with sin that you cannot win. So what will you do? Who will you put your hope in to fight this battle for you? Who will you put your faith in so that you are not defeated? Well, there's only one person you can. There is absolutely no substitute for Jesus Christ. And his message of truth, his words, everything is meant for us to believe. Acts chapter 15, verse 7. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, ye know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. This is where it begins for us. This is where it begins for all of us. Belief in the gospel. Faith in Jesus Christ and what he did for us. Every one of us, every born-again believer that you see, that we may see come to faith here at Berean, all starts out the same way. We heard the gospel and we believed. There is no other way. Many religions and many other denominations may try to find another way uh, through works or through adding to the gospel or taking away from the gospel, but all of those are false paths that will ultimately lead to destruction. And once again, that's the whole point of why Paul's writing this. Uh, to let the Colossians know and to let us know that Christ and Christ alone is all that we need. We don't need superior knowledge. We don't need, which is good for me, uh, we don't need man's philosophies. We don't need mysticism. We don't need angel worship. We don't uh, need man's legalism. We need to hear the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and believe it. John 14 6 says, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Christ is the only way. And I pray that we all truly believe that tonight and that we aren't relying on anything other than him for our salvation. 
You know, I love uh, digging deep into uh, the Word of God and, and the doctrines of the faith. And I love to study and, and, and learn and just really explore all the treasures that, that are in God's Word. And, and I think that all of us in here share that, and, and we all do that. But sometimes I find myself... Um, especially maybe with the teens, maybe overcomplicating things that don't need to be overcomplicated. Uh, and sometimes we have visitors and, and, and students in, in our class that, that may not be saved. And I have to remind myself that they're not going to understand uh, all these big words and they're not going to understand certain doctrines and stuff just yet. Uh, they need to hear the gospel so that they might believe it. And it's, and it's, uh, it's, it's most fundamental and simplest and clearest to understand form. They need to hear the good news because that's exactly what it is. It's good news. It's good news for all of us, for them, for us, for all of us. So the gospel, the gospel truth should bring forth faith. Secondly, the gospel brings forth love. Look at verse 4. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all the saints. The love which you have for who? All saints, right? These are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, with God being the God the Father being the Father of all of us, uh, the saints are those that are eternally secure by faith in Jesus Christ, and Christ modeled uh, the love for us that we need to have for each other. And we looked at this a little bit on Sunday night. John fifteen thirteen: Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Now, will you be asked to give your life for your friends? Probably not. Uh, but will you be asked to give up other stuff for your brothers and sisters in Christ? Yeah, you will, probably so. Do you sacrifice for your fellow saints? What about your time? Do you sacrifice your time for your fellow saints? How often do you sacrifice your time when it comes to visiting someone here in the church or, or, or taking time out to call someone or, or, or send someone a, an encouraging email or something like that? Or do you take time out to talk to someone who really needs to talk? Or do you take time out and sacrifice your time to help somebody in some way that really needs help? How often do you volunteer to help out with something here at the church uh, that doesn't necessarily involve uh, your own children or your own ministry? Um, you know, we can say that we love each other here at Berean, but are we proving it by the things that we do? Are we proving it by our actions toward one another? Uh, because if we're not sacrificing our time and our energy and, and even our money uh, for the other saints here at Berean, then how can we honestly make the claim that we have love for all saints like we see here in the text? Uh, and we just read that that's the type of love that Paul is thankful for and has heard as being practiced by the Colossians because they had received and believed the gospel. You see, it can't be done the way that it should be done apart from the gospel. And when we witness churches where the saints don't have a love for each other, and you see that, you see that often, uh, it's most likely because the saints aren't saints in the first place. Uh, many haven't truly received and believed the true gospel, so the love that Paul's talking about here, it's not there, and it can't be there. Because if you've truly received it, then the love for the saints will come forth from that. John chapter 13, verse uh, 34 and 35, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. And then in 1 John chapter 4, verses 20 and 21, we read, If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, 
How can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. And if we can't love one another inside of these walls, face to face, how can we ever claim that we truly love God who we don't see? Um, And that's just what John tells us there. So the gospel of truth always brings forth love out of the believer, especially toward his brothers and sisters in Christ. And the beginning there at verse 5 is the, uh, brings us to the next point. Uh, the beginning of verse 5, the gospel brings forth hope. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. Uh, you know, I always get a little, I don't amused, I guess, when I see all the bumper stickers that are so prevalent to this area that have the word hope on them. Uh, You know, of course, that was our current president's message to the American people, if you remember that, that he could deliver hope to all of us. Uh, But real hope needs to be grounded in truth. Uh, Real hope has to come from truth, and there can be no real hope without truth. Well, what is our hope? Well, look at the beginning of verse 5. The hope laid up where? In heaven, right? Heaven is our hope, uh, and that's where our hope is, and Jesus alone can deliver that. And, uh, and once again, I noticed that I talked about that a little bit on Sunday night too. Uh, but I like to speak of it often. I like to talk about heaven. I like to talk about our hope in heaven uh, because we need to and we're told to. And it really does make a difference. Colossians chapter 3 verses uh, 1 and 2, just two ch- chapters over, Paul tells us this. He says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above not on things on the earth. And this is why it's silly for us to, to put our hope in stuff and, and things and, and any man that's on this earth. Uh, put our hope in anything other than Jesus Christ. Never forget that no matter what any man says, Christ is the only one that can deliver a hope that you can actually count on. A hope that's grounded in truth. The psalmist writes in Psalm 39, 7, And now, Lord, what wait I for? My hope is in thee. And then if you look down at verse 8, he follows this up and says, Deliver me from my sins. And as sinners, by birth and choice, which we all are, Christ is our only hope for real hope. And then lastly tonight, the gospel, uh, one more point here, the gospel brings forth fruit in our lives. Number four, the gospel brings forth fruit. Verse 6, Which is come unto you, as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit, as it doth also in you since the day ye heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth. So the gospel not only brings about faith, it not only brings uh, love, uh, it not only brings about hope, but it brings forth fruit from the believer. One of my favorite books is the book of James, and uh, James tells us that faith without works is dead, and we're all familiar with that passage. And we can say that, and we can uh, uh, we can say that, and we can say that we believe that until we're blue in the face. But if it hasn't caused a change in our lives, if it hasn't caused a, a, a change in the way that we live, in the way that we act, in the way that we talk, in the things that we do, and how we treat people, James says that that's a dead faith. He says that that's not a real faith at all. And sometimes when helping uh, the students visualize this, uh, I'll tell them to think of the weatherman. And, uh, and I tell them that uh, if the weatherman says that it's going to rain, you can say that you believe that all you want, but until you pick up the umbrella and the raincoat and walk out the door, 
Uh, your words are just words. Uh, but you prove your faith in him uh, is real uh, when you follow up what you claim with actions. And, of course, we all know that you actually can't put your faith in the weatherman. Uh, but that's just an illustration. Helps them to understand the, the, the relationship between faith and works. Um, and evidence of faith in Christ is always going to be an obedient life. It's a changed life that starts producing good works. The believer starts to bear good fruit. And there isn't just the potential for this to happen. When the true gospel has been genuinely received in the believer's heart, it will bring forth fruit. And if it doesn't, it's not the gospel. It's not the fact that the gospel is inadequate in what it's supposed to accomplish. The problem always lies with the person, never the gospel. For example, I know we're all familiar with the parable of the sower. Uh, The sower scatters seeds on the different types and it's fallen on the different types of soils. Uh, Well, the seed represents the gospel. And some seed fell on the hard path. Some seed fell on the stony ground. Some seed fell among the thorns. But the seed that fell on the good ground grew, yielding 30, 60, and 100-fold. When the true gospel has been received properly by a heart prepared by God to receive it, it always yields results. Uh, It produces fruit. And the lack of fruit in someone who claims to have faith is never any fault of the gospel, only the person. Luke chapter 13, verses 6 through 9, Jesus tells this parable. And he says, A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon, and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and find none. Cut it down, why cumbereth it the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well... And if not, then after that, thou shalt cut it down. And as a Christian, you have a purpose. And I'm not trying to get Joel Osteeny on you here. Uh, But that purpose is for you to glorify God with your life. And in order for you to glorify God with your life, you need to be bearing fruit. Uh, Are you bringing forth fruits of righteousness in your life? The Colossians were... They had faith in Christ. They showed the love that they had toward each other. Their hope was in heaven, and they were bringing forth fruits of righteousness. And here in the text, Paul is expressing his thankfulness for the work of the gospel in their lives because the evidence is in the fruit. Matthew uh, chapter 7, verse 16, Jesus tells us, By their fruit we can know them, right? And the Colossians were known for bearing good fruit, and we're to be doing the same. We should be known for bearing good fruit and bringing forth fruits of righteousness. We should be known by that. Uh, Verses 7 and 8 just tell us how Paul knew this. Uh, You know, he wasn't there with them at the time. He learned all this from Epaphras. Uh, Verse 7 and 8, and we'll just read those. As ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. You know, Epaphras, he had such a love for his church there at Colossae that he traveled all the way from there to Rome uh, to meet with Paul because he was deeply concerned about the attacks that were, uh, if not already taking place, definitely going to be taking place against the gospel. And if you think about it, in the age of no cars and trains and round-trip flights, uh, it would be like traveling from here all the way to Denver. Um, all because of the great concern that you had for your church. 
Now that's bearing fruit, right? That's bearing fruit right there. And this is what the true gospel does in our lives for those who will believe it. It causes us to do things that we would have never done apart from it. And you all know this. You all are all witnesses to this. And you guys, just to sort of wrap this up tonight and and we'll close. You know, we are so blessed um, to have this good news that we call the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's my prayer that uh, not only would we be a church that, that believes uh, the true gospel, but that we would labor for it, um, that we would sacrifice for it, that we would uh, defend it at all costs, uh, that we would proclaim it and preach it and share it. So be thankful tonight that you attend a Bible-believing church here at Brian, uh, a church where the truth is of God's word and, and glorifying him by proclaiming that truth is of the highest priority and of the highest purpose. Uh, and many people out there, uh, as you know, they don't have that. They don't have this truth. So you're here at this church for a reason. And what we do with what we've been given with this wonderful good news matters. It matters. It matters to God. It matters to your fellow saints. And it matters to those who so desperately need to hear it. So let's always be thankful for what we've received, this wonderful news of the gospel truth. Dear Lord, we just thank you for our time here this evening. Uh, I just thank you so much for what you did for us. Uh, sending your son to die for us. We, we just thank you so much for the gospel. Uh, help us to uh, apply this, what we've learned tonight. And, uh, and we just pray that, that in all that we would do, that the name of Jesus Christ would always be glorified. We ask it all in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.